Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. I want to turn your attention tonight to the subject of intercession. I, uh, pastor asked me to stop by the office Sunday night after service, and I always just had no idea he wanted me to speak tonight. But uh, I'm glad it was just for that. <laughs> but not, not very long after that, uh, I realized what I, what I should be talking about. And then on Monday, I had an, an unusual uh, confirmation of, regarding this subject that I'll, I'll tell you about tonight. But let's, uh, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 just to get started. And Paul said that uh, to Timothy, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications are requests, like we're made here tonight, prayers, intercessions, which is just kind of briefly defined as praying for others, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So when we talk about intercession, uh, dictionary definition of that would would be something like to plead on someone else's behalf, to intervene on, uh, for another, to interpose yourself on behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble. And uh, you mentioned that, that prodigal, Brother Marcus. I remember when I was, uh, I'll just give you a, a, a definition of what intercession means. When, um, when I was in uh, college, I was away from God. I hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost before that. I, and um, I thought I could do this on my own. I sure found out differently. I don't want to do this on my own. And I was, uh, I, I, I was, I had a summer job in Crawfordsville and, uh, of course, back to the little farm mom and dad lived. And, uh, and my sister had a, a dog, I mean a huge dog, a German shepherd, and uh, his name was Sassafras. I don't know if, I mean, I think I saw a bigger dog once at a, uh, at a prison farm in, uh, in Russia where I was speaking. I wasn't in the prison. That dog was huge. I mean, it had a tail like a fire hose, but Sasa was a big dog. And if, if you know anything about German shepherds, very defensive of, the, of their people, of her people, her little domain, and I came back home late one night, 
quite late. And I was trying to sneak in the back door. And just as I was, I was pulling the door open and I, I was start, starting to step in quietly into the house and Sasa came around the corner of the back of the house and I mean, like a, I don't know what you would describe that, the hound of Hades, I think. And, and, and that, that low rumble in her throat and she didn't recognize me. She thought I was an intruder. And I had one last leg out of the doorway and she caught me by the back of my trousers and just ripped my trousers all the way from my knee to, to the, my foot. And I got in the door and then I turned around, it's me, it's me, it's me, Samson. But that was a dog that if you were a visitor to our little farm, you needed an intercessor. <laughs> you didn't want to get out of your car if you were unknown to the family. You did not want to get out of your car until an intercessor came and stood between you and that dog. And let, let the dog know that it's okay, these people can, they're welcome here. And then she'd, she'd back off. But woe to the person that uh, didn't get that help. So that's what intercession is. It's, it's stepping in and uh, helping someone in trouble. And in prayer, of course, Paul said that that is something that we should be doing as a church. So let's, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 24. And uh, I want to give you just a, another look at this. Luke 24 verses 13 to 16. Now this is on the resurrection day. As far as the believers and disciples know, Jesus is still in the tomb. Uh, some of the women come early to the gravesite and they find that it's empty. And in fact, an angel speaks to one of them. And they, and they hurry back to tell the apostles. Peter comes running to that tomb on that resurrection morning. And he's, he's stepping in there and he's looking and finds that the tomb is empty. Uh, not long after this, on that same day, there are two uh, believers, two followers of Jesus that have left Jerusalem and they're on their way to the town of Emmaus. And it's about a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem. That's no short hike. That's a Jim Sleva hike. And uh, uh, they're talking about the events that happened. Uh, and, and, uh, and of course, the whole city knew about it. So let's, let's read, beginning at verse 14, and I'll, I'll just go, get into that. And they, they talked together of all the things that had happened. Verse 15, and it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Now this might seem like this scripture doesn't fit the uh, topic of intercession, but in my mind, this is a beautiful example of what intercession involves. It's Jesus coming right alongside us in a time of trouble and confusion, when uh, maybe even despair. And uh, he, he steps right into their 
situation and is walking along with them and then begins to open their understanding over the course of this uh, time together. So this is what Je- this is what intercession is. Jesus is already there before you get to that situation. In fact, in my mind, it's hard to uh, separate the word intercession from the word intersection. Because when you come to an intersection in your life and you cross through that intersection uh, into trouble uh, or a problem that you don't know how to handle uh, and you need help, Jesus has al- is already there. He's already, when you pass through into that situation, Jesus is already there to come alongside of you. That's what intercession involves. And uh, there, uh, well, Moses explained it this way to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31 and 8 when Moses was stepping aside and Joshua was going to lead them into the promised land. He said, uh, 31 and 8, And the Lord, he it is that goeth before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. The Lord is going before you. In other words, he's going to be there when you get there. Whatever the situation is in your life. He will be there before you get there, and he will be with you. Now, here's the amazing confirmation that I had um, from uh, an old friend uh, that I thought about as uh, Monday I was thinking and praying about this um, evening. And, and this, this uh, story from years ago came to my mind. And I couldn't remember at first uh, just who it was that this had happened to. But uh, here's what happened. This was, oh, I think I heard this story when we came home from our, for our first deputation from Korea. So I probably heard it for the first time in the early 80s. But um, this preacher was, uh, well, actually his name is James Boatman. And I don't know if anybody here to knows, but Brother Boatman is the pastor of Kilgore, Texas. And years ago, back at that time, some clearly almost 40 years ago, he was the uh, general director of Sunday school division for the United Pentecostal Church. He was um, living in St. Louis at that time, and he was speaking in West Virginia at um, a, a conference of some kind. He was the day speaker, and he told me that uh, Merle Ewing was the evening speaker. He left St. Louis and his wife, and their two, they had two small children at that time, his wife was very ill. I, uh, I can't remember, I don't think he even remembered what, what the situation was, but she was, she was gravely ill at that point. And uh, probably when he arrived at whatever city this was in West Virginia where he was speaking, he undoubtedly, Called. He didn't have cell phones in back those days, but he probably made a call uh, and found out that uh, their situation was kind of serious and whatever that was. 
And, uh, you know, so he went on to the meeting. Now, I called Brother Boatman on Monday when I, when I was thinking about this story just to confirm, uh, first of all, that it was he that I was thinking about. And when we were talking about it, he said, yes, that, that was, uh, was I that that happened to. And, and uh, he said he was sitting on the platform and uh, he had just come from his hotel, I suppose. He's he'd probably thinking about should he just drop everything and go back home or, or what should he do? And uh, I don't know if he had if he were speaking that morning or at any rate, he was in that service, he was on that platform, and as the service was concluding, uh, Brother Billy Cole was on the platform there as well with other preachers. And Brother Boatman said, I just, uh, I just bowed my head and I was praying for my wife, and he said, I was so troubled in my heart about her. And he said, Brother Cole came over to me and he put his arm around me and he said, Brother Boatman, you don't have to worry about your wife, she's okay. He had not said anything to anyone about his wife. He had not spoken to Brother Cole about that. God had given Brother Cole a word of knowledge, but also this was, uh, I think, a beautiful example of intercession, how God sees us in our situations and he doesn't leave us alone, he goes with us. In fact, he's there even before we get to that situation. And uh, sure enough, his wife was okay. Well, here's the amazing thing about that story to me. On Monday, this week when I called Brother Boatman, I hadn't talked to him and probably hadn't seen him in years, but he remembered me and uh, we had been at their church for a deputation service, time or two. And uh, he said, well, he was t we, were, we were going over this story and he said, yeah, he said, that was just such a wonderful confirmation that, to me that the, the Lord of glory, the creator of all of this would be aware of my need, my personal need. He would be aware of me. And uh, we were just talking about that, and he got a phone call. He said, oh, I'm sorry, Brother Turner, I gotta, I gotta take this call, call you back. So we hung up, and a little bit later, he called me back, and he said, I'm sorry, Brother Turner, that I had to uh, take that call, but it was it was the doctor calling from the hospital. My wife <laughs> has been in the hospital for the past 10 days and uh, she's had COVID and she had pneumonia with it and even had a mild heart attack and she didn't know if she was gonna leave that hospital. And while I was talking with him about a similar kind of situation that had happened almost 40 years ago the doctor is calling him to let him know that his wife is going to be okay and will be able to come home that very day. Isn't that incredible? That is our God. And uh, so, well, 
And just kind of let me know that maybe there'd be somebody here tonight that needs to hear this. There, um, there's another dimension of intercessory prayer um, that I want to talk about. In fact, I think there are two kinds of intercessory prayer. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 and, and 15, he said, I will pray in the spirit and I will pray with my understanding also. So two kinds of prayer, both valid, both needful. And I believe we can certainly pray intercessory prayers in our understanding. Uh, I think we did that tonight. And that's, uh, that's good. And yet there's an, uh, another dimension of prayer that I want to talk about tonight. Intercessory prayer in the spirit. The Bible teaches us that God can give us a, a burden to pray for someone when we uh, don't really know what the exact situation is. You may not even know that person personally, but God knows and God's spirit can help us pray. So let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And this is certainly a day when we need intercessory prayer. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples from the past. Uh, we don't live in that past. We can't live in the past. We have to live in the now. But in the spirit, it's always present. I mean, the things that God spoke to us in the past are just as valid for our faith. And we, in fact, we build on our faith through those things. I remember uh, in our days in Korea, it's not in the book, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I had to come home at the, right at the end of our first four-year term there. We arrived in Korea in 1979 and I had to come in home at the right at the end of that because my mother had died. And uh, I went home for her funeral. Uh, my precious wife finished up my Bible school classes for me. And, and uh, she was taking care of wrapping up everything while I was there. I got home for my mother's funeral. And uh, then uh, I still had, I stayed with my dad for a while and then, I think my sister was there. And so uh, I went out to our home church in Tucson, Arizona, where my wife and I uh, came to the Lord um, a good while ago now, almost 50 years ago. And uh, um, I was, uh, I was, I was with our pastor, Brother Connor, and, and his wife, and, and um, 
I had a conversation with a sister Wright in that church. She's gone on to be with the Lord, but she was, she was one of my first introductions to a prayer warrior. Sister Wright was a tremendous woman. Her husband wasn't living for God, but uh, she was very faithful. And, and uh, I, can, I can still remember hearing her and my pastor's wife and other ladies praying in, in prayer meetings at the church. And... Uh, praying in the spirit. She, uh, she told me, she said, you know, Brother Turner, uh, just recently, a few days ago, maybe a week ago, I, uh, I, got, I got a burden for your wife. Said uh, sometimes I would wake up in the middle of the night and, uh, and, in, and instead of just uh, reading a book or something, I would... I would feel like maybe that was the Lord telling me I needed to pray. And so I would get on my knees by my bed. And I would ask the Lord, who do you want me to pray for? And she said this on this occasion just a few days ago, she said, your wife came to my mind. And she said, so I prayed for Sister Turner. I, 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 I had a, of course, made a, a long-distance call, not a, not a cell phone, but a long-distance call to my wife and uh, to ask her just how things were going and t- telling her about my visit in Tucson. And she said, well, the most amazing thing happened to me on Sunday she said, uh, well, we were, we were, the Bible college was in Kwangyongshi, and, and it's on the side of a mountain and uh, an old school building that the Bernards had uh, remodeled into a, a Bible college and their apartment. And, and to get up there, you had to go up. I mean, I don't know what the angle was, but it looked almost like it was straight up to get up to, to drive up there, and then you'd turn down and, and go to where the... A flat building site had been made on the side of that mountain for that Bible college and or Bible their school that turned into a Bible college, and uh, we gunned it up that hill many times. In those days, we our our first uh, She's for Christ vehicle was a, uh, a Hyundai uh, minivan. Now, anybody in here drive a Hyundai? It's okay. I I'm not speaking against Hyundais tonight because they make a good car. Today, but I believe me, uh, back then their first minivan was uh, well. I, I told people by the end of that four-year term, I could put all the moving parts in the, in the ashtray. I think I, I. I mean, the the side door was wouldn't work. Uh, another missionary had one of those at the same time. And while he was driving down the road, uh, his side door fell off. And <laughs> my, clutch, my clutch cable broke and his clutch cable broke about the same time. That kind of stuff, you know. And uh, just before I had left, we'd had to have some electrical work done on it. And got that done before I left. Well, so my wife is, is, has our two small children. They, they, she drives up. She knows how to get around those hairpin turns and and uh, so you, you, what you have to do is you come down this uh, road and there's a T here. It goes up 
the mountain. So it's just uh, nothing right here but a dead end and a wall. And so she guns it and gets up the top of it just barely and then goes down to the Bible college for the Sunday morning church service. Well, uh, wait a minute, she's picked up a load of kids before she's done that. And this is a 12-passenger van, but uh, in Korea we usually had about 24 in that van. And uh, so now it's, it's church service is over. And she has got all those kids loaded back up. She's going to take back down into the village and drop them off. And, and our two children are in the front seat with her. I mean, there's, there's no, they're just a kind of a tin front on the front of this van. You know, it's not anything that's going to withstand a crash. She gets up, she comes up to the top of the hill and she's starting to turn to go down that very steep uh, a good block to get down to the bottom of that and at the bottom of it is that wall in front of her and then a, a sharp T where she's scraped the bumper a few times and uh, to get around that and while she when she pulled up to the top of the hill to make that to go down uh, I, I, she probably had it in first gear by then or probably had to anyway and uh and just as she was starting to go down, there was a man walking up the hill from the, from the village. And he could, you know, the car was up like that, so he could see under the car. And, and he, of course, it was hot. My wife had the window halfway down. And he said, pull, pull, there's fire, fire under the car. So she stopped and uh, got everybody out, got, got the kids out, got all, and she pulled on the emergency brake and uh, uh, put it in gear and, and turned off the engine and got everybody out of the car. And uh, I think they had some sand and they threw it up under there and, and got the fire out. So, so um, our assistant pastor, Kang Moon Jong, came and, and he said, Osama Nim, let me, let me take care of this. I'll, let me just, uh, it's probably not safe to drive this, so let's just, let me just pull it over here. There was an area there, uh, there where a house had been moved it. You could, I'll pull it over there. So Kang Lun Jong got in that car and he started it up. He was going to go down that hill and halfway down and pull it over to the side. But uh, what happened was that fire had eaten out the brake lines and there were no brakes. And Kang Lun Jong started going down, I mean, rapidly, dangerously rapidly. And... Uh, uh, and they started, they started praying, and just at the last moment, he had the, the thought to pull on the emergency brake, which still worked, and they saw two black skid marks coming out the back of the car, and he got right up to that wall and stopped before he hit the wall. Well, imagine if she had had 24 kids, 20 to 24 kids in that car, all that weight, and my she, my wife, and my two little children in the front seat of that car, if they, had, if they had gone with all that weight at full velocity into that wall, I don't think any of my family would be here tonight, or my wife. And uh, so I was, I was telling, uh, I think Sister Wright was telling me about being burdened for my wife, and, and she prayed. And we started comparing notes, and the, of course, there's a big time difference between here and 
halfway around the world, but we've realized that at the same time that Sister Wright was on her knees praying, this incident was happening in Korea. That's intercession. Oh. Let me tell you one more quick story. I'm working on another book. And I'm writing about the, the, the life of missionaries Don and Sandra Hanscom, uh, great missionaries. They were, they were missionaries in Pakistan for, uh, I forget now, 15, 18 years, as long as they could stay there on their Canadian v, uh, passports, and then, then the government would not let them stay there any longer. But great things were happening uh, after they got, the, uh, they got there in the early 70s in Pakistan. This is a, a Muslim country, of course. There's a, there were about a million Christians that lived there at that time. Well, they had they had they stepped into an amazing revival, and uh, and they had been there a year. They had seen miracles, signs, and wonders already, and hundreds receiving the Holy Ghost. And then in 1975, their 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 son Don David, who has a boy that attends Indiana Bible College right now. Uh, was uh, he was six years old, and he had on his cowboy boots, and his six shooters, and his vest, and he was he was climbing up a drain pipe on their house, where to to get to the roof, which was his father had put it off limits, forbidden to get up there because there wasn't enough rail around the side of it to be safe. A lot of Pakistanis would sleep on those roofs in the summertime when it was a little bit. So it was so hot inside. And uh, Don David had a friend, a, a, a boy from the international school that was there. And uh, the friend had, had gotten through the barricaded route through the house to get up to the roof. And Don David was going to climb up this. He was climbing up this drain pipe uh, 20 feet up. And uh, he got right up to the top and was just, to, just about to get over. The, but there was a... There was a uh, another pipe, a um, uh, gas pipe along this lip of the roof, and he got his spur and his cowboy boot caught in that pipe, and he was losing his balance. And his friend was trying to help him, and Don, and and I, when I spoke to Don David a few weeks ago, he said the last thing I remember is my friend saying, "Don, I can't hold on anymore," and he fell, and he he hit his head on a, on a uh, a, a lip of a cement lip over a garage entrance and, and shattered his left ear and uh, uh, bone all around his left ear. And then he went straight down to the cement driveway. Uh, that was a 20-foot fall. He landed on the right side of his face, head, and his skull was shattered. And, uh, well, I'll, you can read the book later, but I hope. But uh, anyway, they got him to the hospital uh, one of the helpers went for Brother Hanscom, who was speaking at, they were just getting a, a, a conference started, and he was speaking, and that young 
Pakistani guy comes right down the center aisle and says, you know, your son has fallen off the roof. And so he goes to the hospital, he gets there, and, his, and, the, and uh, uh, the, uh, the emergency room doctor says, there's, um, I'm, I'm sorry, this is, a, this is a hopeless situation. Your boy is too severely injured. And, uh, and, and Brother Hanscom said, no, 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 we'll... We'll get him on an airplane right away and take him to Canada and get him the best hospital. And the doctor said, you'll never get him out of that airport. He'll be dead before you do. And uh, so there's a four-day situation where this boy's in a tumor, or in a coma. And um, I won't go into all that. But when this happens, when this is happening, on the other side of the world, they found this out when they came home a year or two later after this, and they were on deputation. They were in Ohio, and uh, they were at a church, and um, a sister in that church, they told this story, of course. Don, Don David survived. I mean, he, he was miraculously healed, and um, that's another story. But uh, so this, this woman, she... She started, you know, comparing dates and times, and she said to Brother and Sister Hanscom, I was in my kitchen washing dishes when the Lord spoke to me and said I needed to pray for you. Or no, she said, I just needed to pray for someone, and I didn't know who it was. And uh, said, so she finished up her dish. She said, oh, Lord, I, I have a, an air, a quick errand to run downtown, and as soon as I get back, I'll pray. She got to the garage and got her hand on the handle of the, of the door, and the Lord spoke to her and said, if you don't pray now, he'll die. She prayed. And it was the same time that this was happening. They went to another church, and there was a... a, a a man, a husband and wife in that church that spoke to them after service when they heard the story. And they said, we, got a, we were sitting in our living room and we got a phone call, you know, a regular house phone, old time. And uh, my husband picked up the phone and the operator says, you have a call from Pakistan. And then she, he said, we don't know anybody in Pakistan. And suddenly, a voice came on the line speaking in a foreign language, speaking Urdu, undoubtedly. And he couldn't respond, so he just hung up. But he said, the Lord must want us to pray for our missionaries in Pakistan. So they prayed. It was at the same time. The Spirit itself will make intercession for us when we don't know how to pray as we ought. And I suppose tonight, I've cut it short now, but if I were to take a poll in here tonight, I could probably get some testimonies in this congregation where you've had experiences like this. And, you know, Pastor Carson has been trying to move us toward more and, and more prayer and I appreciate everything he's doing don't you I appreciate the direction this church is going in I appreciate being getting to have a part in Calvary Tabernacle 
So let's stand together tonight. I, I, I want you to know that the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. And that's not, that's not some non-biblical concept of uh, God the Son speaking into the ear of God the Father saying, help them out here. No, he ever lives to make intercession because of his death, burial, and resurrection. Because he rose victorious from the dead. It's the sacrifice on that cross that is the intercession for us. If you go to uh, the book of Isaiah 53, you'll find the verse there that says that he, uh, the, the, the Lord was satisfied with, uh, with his sufferings. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing it. And, and, uh, and, and so now through that, he can make intercession for us. The intercession happened on the cross and it's still continuing to this day. You have an intercessor in heaven that ever lives to make intercession for you. Praise God. And so whatever your situation might be, God sees it and he got there before you did. And he's waiting for you. And he's waiting on us to pray. And there'll be special times in this congregation where prayer warriors will go on their knees and they will pray intercessory prayers and it's going to help somebody that we don't even know. There are going to be intercessory prayers in that prayer room that are going to touch the hearts of people in this city that we have not seen yet, but they're going to come through those doors and it's because somebody prayed for them. Let's lift our hands tonight. And let's just ask God to help us to enter into that kind of ministry. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you ever live to make intercession for us. Hallelujah. Thank you for the power of the cross, the power of your name. Thank you that you can pray through us in the spirit. Help us, Lord, to pray in our understanding and to pray in the spirit and be used of you. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name, praise God.